Well, good evening and welcome again to Sunday night service here at the Moody Church. Uh, and we're glad that you're joining us tonight as we conclude this series that we've been looking at for the month of August called Conversations on Race. And as we begin tonight, I first just want to say thank you to those uh, people from our staff and our congregation who were participated in each of the panel discussions we had over the last four weeks. Um, I so appreciate their, their insights into scripture, their sharing with us, their lived experiences. And, and if you missed any of those, I just want to encourage you to make sure to go back and to listen and to learn from your brothers and sisters in Christ as they've shared with us over the last month. Well, this week as I was processing through what I was going to be saying and preaching tonight and then also processing through the events that have unfolded in our country this week, I was reminded of what Pastor Larry said three weeks ago when he said this, that racism in our country is like a current in a river. And it's always there, it's always flowing, and there are certain moments where it starts to bubble up to the surface and we see it again. And this last week has been, again, a reminder of racism bubbling up in our country as we've witnessed the events and the unfolding of that just in the last week. Events, many of which are very close to Chicago, just less than 50 miles north here of the city. And so as we think about this whole series and what we've learned and what we, we should do tonight, my goal is simply twofold. First is to help us review what the Bible says, and lots of this will be pulling from things that the panel discussed. And then secondly, to help us think as followers of Jesus Christ, what should our response be? What would God have us do in this time, in 2020, in this season, where we find our how should we live our lives as followers of Jesus in this moment that we find ourselves in? So what does the Bible say? What informs our thinking when it comes to thinking about race? Well, first is the image of God. And this is where we started right at the beginning of our series. And this is where scripture starts with the image of God being the fact that each and every one of us were created to be like God and to have a relationship with God, every human being. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our own likeness. And the image of God in all people is fundamental to our understanding of humanity and any of the differences that we may have. See, it's helpful for us to, to flash forward in the book of Acts chapter 17 as Paul is preaching. He says this to the audience in which he's preaching. He reminds them that from one man, every nation of mankind lives on all the face of the earth. See, from one man back to Adam, all of us find our being. Each and every one of us, no matter what our physical distinctives are, no matter what we look like, no matter where we were born, no matter what culture we've been raised in, none of these things change the fact that we are made in the image of God. As scholar J. Daniel Hayes says, racism or the presupposition that one's race is superior or better is a denial that all people have been made in the image of God. This is fundamental to understanding our world and our response as followers of Jesus. See, when we hear cries for people, 
to ask him to see the humanity in others, to see the humanity in one another. I think we could see what, what they're crying for is that we see our commonality that we all have, that we are made in the image of God. As humans, we are separate. We are unique from all other created beings because of this, that we are made in the image of God. And as a reminder for us, we, we just need to start there and remind ourselves that what makes us like God, that we are made in the image of God, what makes every single human being like God is of infinitely more importance than any physical difference that would make us unlike each other. The image of God is fundamental in understanding that every person has equal worth, value, dignity, respect because of who we are down to the very core that we are made in the image of God. Well, secondly, as we look through scripture, we were reminded last week of the fact that the Bible calls us to live a life that seeks justice. That we are called to seek justice. And there are so many passages throughout scripture that refer to this. But specifically for me, when I think of passages, so often I go to the prophetic books. Those books near the end of the Old Testament that the prophets wrote that so clearly call out how the follower of God must respond to injustices around them. One example of this is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, starting at verse 2, it says this, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. He's talking about people who have good intentions, who want to worship God. Verse 3, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such a fast that I chose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Now look at this, verse 6. Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourselves from your own flesh. See, the prophet is calling out people who were doing religious rituals, who were fasting, who were seeking God, but who weren't living a just life, who were doing wrong towards others, who weren't living out this just life that God has called followers of Jesus Christ to. And I so appreciate it as we looked last week at this, what this means to live a life of justice, that we hit on justice looks a lot different than what we may hear in the news or what we may hear in the mainstream today when people talk about justice. See, biblical justice talks about equity, equal treatment for every person, regardless of their background, of their history, of their culture. Biblical justice involves advocacy, that we have a special concern for those who don't have a voice, who don't have power, and we speak up 
on their behalf. That's why scripture is filled with passages on how we need to speak out for the poor, the oppressed, the widow, the marginalized. Those who within their time and their culture wouldn't have had a voice. It was up to those who did have a voice, who did have power to speak out, to advocate for those who didn't. We also saw how biblical justice functions in a community. That it's not a singular thing. It's not focused just on individuals, but it's involved in a community as well. See, this can push against some of our cultural mindset because biblical justice talks both to the individual as well as to corporate responsibility. It addresses individual people, but also larger structures as well. See, we are each responsible for our sin. We are each held accountable for our own actions. And so, yes, God looks at us and he calls on us to live a just life. He judges you and I for the actions that we have and how we live our lives. But sometimes we have focused so much on ourselves that we forget that how we live our lives impacts the people around us. And our sin has an impact far beyond simply ourselves. It impacts our families and generations and the people around us that we live with. Which is why when we think of justice, it's not just an individual seeking it for one another, but why even systems need to be brought to justice as well. It's why scripture speaks to this. In Leviticus 19, he talks about criminal justice system and how that needs justice. In Jeremiah 22, he addresses loans. The Bible talks about underpaying people or delayed wages in Deuteronomy 24. Systems and structures that would oppress people that we need to speak into. See, sometimes this may feel foreign to us because it's countercultural in this hyper-individualistic attitude that most Americans have. But we're called to live lives of community, not just to see ourselves, but those around us and the impact that our lives can have on others. And with this, we need to be transformed by Scripture, not just to be whatever we think we should be, but to what God's Word says we should be. The demand of a follower of God to live a just life cannot be denied or ignored when we look at Scripture. And so the Bible calls us to live a life of justice. Next week, we look at the third thing of Jesus' example for us. Jesus' example of how he lived his life, how he ministered, how he loved others. Jesus consistently crossed over racial and ethnic boundaries and lines that went beyond what, what anyone of his time would have expected of him being a Jewish man. There's so many examples filled with this, but Jesus came not just to save a certain segment of people, but to be the savior for the whole world. And he modeled that throughout his life. Think of Jesus going to the Samaritan woman in the middle of the day. That's something that would have been totally unexpected. You wouldn't have done that. There was lines drawn up, racial lines, ethnic lines. You didn't do that, but Jesus did. Think to, to the, the story of this faith that someone had that Jesus marveled at. It moved Jesus. And who had this great faith? It was a Roman centurion. It wasn't a Jewish person who had this great faith. It was a Roman centurion who had such great faith. And Jesus' commission and command to the disciples upon his departure wasn't to bring the good news of what Jesus had done to a certain segment of people. No, but 
to Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, that all people would hear of the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done for them. And Jesus, in his ministry, was consistently pushing against the barriers that people had said, this is what Jewish men and women can do and this is what they can't. And he continually pushed past those, ministered to those who were outside, who were marginalized, who were oppressed. When we continue through scripture, the fourth thing we see is the gospel implications that this has on how we think and how we view racism. The gospel implications of this. The clearest passage to me of this is in the, gospel, the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 starts with one of the most well-known passages expounding on the gospel. Pastor Philip used it this morning in his sermon, talking about how by grace we have been saved through faith, not of our own doing. It is the gift of God, not because of works, that no one can boast. But the passage doesn't stop there at verse 10. It continues. And Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 says this, But now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's talking about racial divisions there. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Why? So that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, the gospel has profound implications in how we think about racism. It has profound implications for how we view the people around us. Sometimes when the church starts to address issues of racism and racial inequality in our world, a phrase that that has been said by people over the years is, well, the church shouldn't talk about things like that. We just need to preach the gospel. We just need to preach the gospel. But the reality is this. To preach the gospel, that is the good news of what Jesus has done for us, to preach the gospel without preaching the full implications of the gospel isn't being faithful to the gospel. To preach the gospel without being faithful to the full implications of it isn't being faithful in preaching it. And in fact, where we try and avoid the parts of our lives that the gospel informs, the gospel speaks into, it's often where we need it the most. So think of it this way. Maybe if someone wanted to talk in the church about money and you said, no, 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 don't talk about that. Just talk about the gospel. Well, I would say, well, you maybe have a problem Maybe you struggle with greed or with materialism. If you didn't want ever at church to hear anyone talk about how we should be stewards of our time, maybe you're someone who's lazy or a procrastinator who wastes their time. Maybe if you never want the church to talk about sexuality or the ethic that God has for us, I might say, well, there's probably some sin in your life on why you don't want to bring the gospel to bear on that. It's the same when we think about racism. And if we just say, no, let's not have this conversation, that might make me uncomfortable. That might make people uncomfortable. The reality is this, if it's uncomfortable, it may be what we need the most. See, Jesus isn't about us being comfortable in our lives. God is after us pursuing holiness in him. And a lot of the Christian life is uncomfortable. 
when the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin, that's uncomfortable. Having to go confess my sin and wrongdoing to someone else, that's uncomfortable. Having to ask forgiveness for something that I've done from someone else, that's frankly uncomfortable. And just because a conversation, just because the Bible speaks to something that makes us uncomfortable, doesn't mean we should ignore it. If anything, it means we should lean in and listen to what the Bible has to say. See, the gospel has so many implications to our lives, including our racial hearts and our attitudes towards racism in our world. This idea is made even clearer in the book of Galatians. A little context. So Paul in this passage is confronting Peter. Peter is one of the disciples of Jesus, a Jewish man who after some time eventually began to see that, hey, this faith in Jesus isn't just for Jews, but it's also for Gentiles. And this was the major distinction amongst ethnicities and races in their time. And so after some time, the Peter begins to be comfortable and to associate and to meet and to eat with Gentiles. But then it says this in Galatians chapter 2, that he began to shrink back and he pulled away from this when people came. It says that in Galatians 2 verse 11, when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, Paul opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, Peter was eating with the Gentiles But when they came back, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Look at this, verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct, this pulling back from associating with people of other racial groups because of fear of others, when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel... I said to Cephas, that's Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? See, this phrase that that so grasped me this week was that this idea of stepping back so that, oh, well, I don't want to be seen as intermixing with other groups because of fear of what that may say because I'm mixing with someone from a different race, a different ethnicity. Paul says this, that is not in step with the truth of the gospel. Racism is a sin. Racism is not in step with the truth of the gospel. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to lean into this uncomfortable truth that the gospel informs our hearts and our attitudes for all of life, including this one. And we need the gospel to search our hearts, to expose the sin, the struggles that we have, and to confess it, not simply to push it to the side, And ignore these things because they may be difficult to speak about. They may be uncomfortable for us. We need to have all of our lives be in line with the gospel. The last thing that we looked at in scripture in this series is this picture of heaven. The picture of heaven that we get in the book of Revelation. This beautiful picture of every nation, tribe, every language and tongue being represented, praising God before the throne that John has looking forward to the future, a diverse body of Christ there gathered together, worshiping Jesus into eternity. See, sometimes in the conversations on this, people will try and say, well, I'm colorblind. I'm colorblind. I I don't see other people's racial differences. I don't see the skin colors of others. I'm colorblind. They they may be well-intentioned by that, but here's the problem. 
God is not colorblind. He sees people's racial backgrounds, cultural differences, and he celebrates them. In fact, our cultural, racial, and ethnic differences is something that we will carry with us into eternity. And any idea that we need to push back against this, that we need just to, to ignore this, that this is something that we shouldn't talk about, ignores the New Testament, ignores the work of the gospel, ignores the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ and all its diverse expressions gathered together under him. Rebecca McLaughlin put it this way. She said, when you read the New Testament, you will find that trying to marry biblical Christianity to any white-centric nationalism is like trying to marry a cat to a mouse. One is designed to hunt the other, not mate with it. This idea of one race being above the others goes antithetical, goes against scripture, where our differences are not ignored, but they're seen and they're celebrated in the beauty of Jesus Christ and his redemptive work in our lives. As others have said many times, the the stark truth is if you don't like diversity, you're not going to like heaven. So start to like it now. Get used to it now because we are the body of Christ and we share those uniquenesses throughout eternity together. And that's something that we should be celebrated, not something that we should ignore or claim doesn't exist. So what should our response be? This will by no means be comprehensive. But I wanted, as we wrap up this series together, just maybe to give us some ideas. All right, what's next? This month hasn't solved this. This issue, as we learned this last week, is not going away. It's something that as followers of Jesus, we're going to continue to need to learn, to grow, to speak into. So what should our response be as followers of Jesus? A few things for us tonight. First is listen. The first thing that you can do, continue to do, is to listen. And to listen well in this conversation assumes that there are relationships that you have as well. That that you need to have relationships with people whose lives look different, whose background is different, whose families are different than yours, and to listen to them. Living a just life goes beyond individual relationships, but it needs to start there. So get close to those who are dislike you in areas. Get proximate and then listen to them. Over the last several months, we've heard so many people, at least I've heard so many people saying things like they're hurting, they're frustrated, they're tired, they're emotionally traumatized. And the question for us is, are we listening? Are we listening to them? Do we hear what they're saying or do we ignore it and put it away? See, 1 Corinthians 12 States this. It's, it's a beautiful passage that talks about the church and it has this metaphor that we are the body of Christ. All of us together form the body of Christ. And at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, in verse 24, it says this, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I was struck by that phrase this week. If one member of the body of Christ is suffering, then we all are suffering. 
See, the reality is, is that for many of us, we haven't leaned into this conversation. We haven't done anything about the issue of racism, the sin of racism in our world, because it hasn't impacted our lives negatively. In fact, sometimes maybe we've benefited from things that have been set up in a certain way. But the reality is, if we listen to what the the body of Christ is saying, when people are hurting, it's not our responsibility to say, well, I'm glad that doesn't hurt me. I don't have to do anything about it. No, when our brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering, our call is to lean into their pain, to listen to their suffering and to suffer alongside of them. See, even if racism doesn't impact your life personally, it doesn't mean that you don't need to do anything about it because we're called to be the body of Christ, to listen to each other and to lean in when others are hurting and are in pain. So we listen. We listen to one another. Secondly is this, is to learn. To learn. To continue to grow in your walk with Christ. Continue to grow in your understanding on these things. And so some resources that that we have put together that, that I've thought of this week along with a few other people that could help you. Now a disclaimer here. I am not endorsing or agreeing with every single thing that I'm going to list here, but simply this, they have been found helpful by me and other members of our staff as as brothers and sisters in Christ are engaging in this conversation. So don't pick up a book, don't read an article and say, hey, this is exactly what Pastor Best says. This is Moody Church's position. No, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that they've been helpful in our growth and our learning and our understanding. One book by J. Daniel Hayes is from Every People and Nation, a book on a biblical theology of race that's been very helpful. Another book is called Divided by Faith by Michael Emerson and Christian Smith that gives a sociological look at race and the church. John Perkins has been a leading voice in this issue for decades. And if you've never read his book, Let Justice Roll Down, it will be greatly beneficial to yours most recent book, One Blood. Pastor Tim Keller's book, Generous Justice, has been very helpful in understanding what the Bible says about what it means to live a just life. Jamar Tisby's book, The Color of Compromise, helps us look at the history of the American church through the lens of what it looks like in our world today. Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy, Brian Stevenson, excuse me, his book, Just Mercy. Alistair McIntyre's book, Whose Justice, Which Rationality, or Isabel Wilkerson's The Warmth of Other Sons. I realize that's a lot, but those are just a few of the things that we've been reading that we have found helpful. If you're like, I don't read, give me something I can watch. A few things that may be helpful. John Piper's um, video, Bloodlines, or Phil Vischer's videos, Race in America, have been very helpful. And lastly, from some articles, Tim Keller has recently written three articles and another one is coming out next month on the Gospel in Life website on racism and justice and how all these things can find their, their path in this world that we live in. Again, those are just some things that I would suggest to you. I don't agree or endorse all of them wholesale, but they are good learning opportunities for us. Another thing that I have tried to put into practice in my life It's not just to learn through this, but to learn in each and everyday lives from the voices of followers of Jesus whose lives look different, whose backgrounds are different than mine. Due to social media, this is, I think, one of the huge blessings is the opportunity that we have to hear from men and women who love God and have a different perspective, different set of lenses from which they view the world because of their backgrounds and experiences. 
See, so often social media becomes an echo chamber, right? Where we log on and all we hear are the same voices that look just like us saying the exact same opinions about every issue that we think about. I want to challenge you to stretch your mind to make sure you're including in your input voices that are different, that speak to things from a different angle. If all you're seeing when you log on to social media are people that say the exact same thing as you think, you're finding yourself in an echo chamber. So what voices are you learning from? A few that I learned from. Of course, there's voices that I've looked up to and respected for a long time. People who maybe have a background experience is different or similar to mine. Pastor Tim Keller, John Piper, David Platt, Ray Ortland, regular people who I follow on social media to hear their thoughts on life. But I've been so blessed by listening to, to pastors such as Pastor Charlie Dates or Pastor Tabidi Anyawible and hearing their perspective on things. From hearing from people from other cultures like D.A. Horton or Eugene Cho. Learning from sisters in Christ like Jackie Hilperia and Shirley Anubel. Learning from scholars like Esau McCauley and Jarvis Williams. So many different voices, different perspectives, different backgrounds that they have that are different than mine. And it informs my life in a deeper and richer way that I see things through from just my lens. So learn. Listen and then learn from people around you. What else can we do? We can love. The third thing that I want to leave you with tonight is to love. And the love that the Bible calls us to is a sacrificial love. It gives up some of its own rights for the benefit of one another. Love is what should move us as followers of Jesus Christ to action. In the great chapter in the Bible on love, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about how if he has certain things but has not love, he has nothing, right? If he has prophetic powers, if he understands all mysteries and knowledge, he says, if I have faith that moves mountains and have not love, it doesn't matter for anything. When I think of this in the conversation when it comes to racism and diversity in the church, I could think of Maybe Paul would say this today, if we have diversity in the church, but we don't have love within the church, it counts as nothing. See, what God is after is not, let's see how many different people we could bring into the church from different backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities, but is there love amidst the diversity that God has brought here? Our call is not just to be diverse, but to love one another deeply and dearly through even the differences that we have because of the cultures that we come from. But the love that God calls us to is even greater than a love inside the church. It's a love that goes out as well. In Luke chapter 10, a man comes and asks Jesus the greatest commandment. And Jesus says, famously, as the science is literally right behind me, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others as you love yourself, to love God and to love people. And his response to this, this man is this, well, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who is this neighbor that I'm supposed to love as I love myself? And Jesus tells a story, a parable called the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, where a man is traveling and is beaten and left for dead along the side of the road. A priest and a Levite, religious Jewish men, go and walk by and do nothing. And who stops? Who leans in? Who helps? It's a Samaritan man who stops and helps. Reflecting on this passage, Pastor Tim Keller writes this. He says, We instinctively tend to limit for whom we exert ourselves. We do it for people like us and a few people for whom we like. Jesus will have none of that. 
By depicting a Samaritan helping a Jew, Jesus could not have been have found a more forceful way to say that anyone at all in need, regardless of race, politics, class, and religion, is your neighbor. Not everyone may be your brother or sister in faith, but everyone is your neighbor, and you must love your neighbor. We are to be compelled by the love of Christ to live lives that sacrificially love people around us. That's what we are to be known for. First in the church, yes, but our love for neighbor extends to all people regardless of the differences that they have from our lives. So we are to listen, to learn, to love. Lastly is this, to live, to live. And by that I mean to live out the truth of the gospel, where God has placed you and how God has gifted you. To live out in your life the truth of the gospel exactly where God has placed you and exactly how God has gifted you. See, God has blessed Christians. He has blessed the church with people with a diverse range of gifts and talents and abilities. And when we think of an issue like racism, the the answer is not just a simple answer. It's not just, oh, well, everyone just needs to do this one thing and this will help it. No, it's, it's a diverse problem, and so it requires a diverse response from the body of Christ. So the question to you is, how has God gifted you? How has God given you passions and desires that you could lean into to seek a life of justice for those who are marginalized, who are oppressed, who are pushed to the side by our worlds? There's so many different areas of your life that you could lean into to bring justice, to bring light, the truth of the gospel, living it out exactly where God has placed you and where God has gifted you. See, my friends, the church has the answer. It's in Jesus Christ and the reconciliation brought about him. That has the answer. And so the church must lead the way in this. And I want to remind you tonight that your life can make a difference. It can seem easy with the immense difficulties in our world, the immense problems that our world faces to think, well, what difference does it make if I try and follow Jesus in this? What difference does it make if I try and make an impact? It does make a difference. And no matter how hard things may get, no matter how difficult it can be, I just want to remind you that Christians are people of hope, that we should never be discouraged, but should always be people of hope. As Brian Stevenson, who I said wrote the book, Just Mercy, he said this, Don't let anybody or anything make you hopeless. Hope is the enemy of injustice. Hope is it will get you to stand up when people tell you to sit down. Friends, we are to be the body of Christ in the world. If we have been reconciled to God, then it is our mission to not only be reconciled to God, but to be reconciled to the people around us. And he has given, it says, to us the message of reconciliation. May the church lead by example. May we lean in, continue to lean in to difficult conversations with one another. May we posture ourselves in humility to learn from those whose backgrounds are different than ours. May we not let any differences amongst each other cause us to ever stop from a true sacrificial love for each other. May we live out the gospel where God has placed us. May we live as the prophet Micah encouraged us, a life that loves justice, that loves mercy, and walks humbly 
with our God. God, we pray that you would empower us as your people to represent you well in this world. God, we thank you for the cross, for the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us and the far-reaching implications it has on our lives, including in this area. God, may we lead by example because of the work that Jesus has done in our lives. May we listen to one another, learn, may we love, may we live out the gospel where you've placed us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.